0: Welcome back to the Entertainment Goes Pop Podcast, where all things entertainment crossover with all things pop culture, meaning all topics are fair discussion, including TV, movies, music, sports, video games. All of it is discussed on this podcast. On this week's episode of the podcast, I've got discussion on Big Brother 23, week four, and the Superman celebration just wrapped up over in Metropolis, Illinois. I went over and attended some of it and I've got one of the Q&As. The 2021 Superman Celebration in Metropolis, Illinois has wrapped up. I went over there and attended the Friday of the superman celebration this year and went to a couple of the panels over there had a really good time and got those recorded and i'm going to play the first of one of the q a panels that i recorded is with kay Callen, and just really fun she had just a lot of fun stories to tell and just a very informative and good q a so let's get right into it
1: of fun so i don't want to waste any time i want to just quickly say that our guest now uh i looked up some uh, credit information i saw saw 142 credits on indb.com starting in 1962 so we're talking about just about 60 years of experience in television film and stage writer roles including uh roles on the show meet the browns how i met your mother Of course, Lois and Clark, New Adventures of Superman, the American Gigolo. And uh, perhaps the single greatest thing you're gonna remember her for is a wonderful little performance as Great Nana in Knives Out. And as we were talking, she voiced Tilly on several episodes of King of the Hill, my all-time favorite animated show. Let's not waste any more time listening to just me. Please welcome Kate Collins to the stage. You were uh, raised in Texas?
2: Yes, in Dallas.
1: So, you like the heat?
2: <laughs> I did go to California hoping to escape, but I didn't, it's hot there too now.
1: Yeah, do they, do, does Texas and California and Missouri all have in like, it's not the heat, it's the humidity.
2: Well, in Dallas they didn't have humidity in my day. I think they've imported it in the meantime. <laughs> uh, and, but then I lived in New York for a while, which it was hot and humidity. That was when I really understood why people killed. I remember being on the subway one day, and it was so hot and it was so crowded, and I just thought, I understand why people kill. I mean, really, you just get. But I didn't. I want you to know, I didn't do anything like that. But um, I, I, and when I was in Texas, to tell the truth, I didn't really know it was cooler anyplace else. I thought that was just the world. So.
1: Yeah, I, I did some traveling a few years back, and I found in the Southwest, if you like, chug a couple of these when it's not humid you can get through the day just fine, but this is this is ridiculous.
2: Well, humidity doesn't help not at all. I've always thought I would like to go to Bali, which just sounds like so romantic, but then I found out on the coolest day of the year, it's only one degree cooler than all the other days of the year. And I just know I would be cranky when I was there, so I'm not going.
1: Uh, yeah, definitely problematic there. Now, I, wanted, I noticed something on a, a video I watched this morning i thought was pretty funny there was uh, it was related to your books it was i believe a samuel french commotion tie-in it was called fade in it's on youtube it's just a couple of minutes long oh i wrote that yes I, I the ending is what i wanted to get get at you about that it's you're in the bookstore you know the guy behind the counter and, and a lady comes in and you're like, ooh, potential sale and you kind of casually walk over and just start directing her to your material without yeah she saying. keeps
2: looking to other things and i keep going out of the books
1: and getting in the way and various things. Yeah, you uh, you ask her a question, she answers, well, if that's what you need, then this is the right book for you. But at the end, she knows who you are. It was so embarrassing. And you're like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. Oh, she asked me to autograph the books. And you go, <laughs> oh, I'm so embarrassed. Just the two? Because <laughs> I read the credits.
2: I did not write like that part. The, the, Suzanne, who was the actress who did it with me, is also a comedian, and she's wonderful. And she also, there's that moment where she's trying to tell me about another book, and she hands it to me, and I say, oh, yeah, I just throw it over. <laughs> and those two ideas were both hers, and they were hilarious.
1: Yeah. Which is a good, is dichotomy the right word? The writer brought it to light, and then you took it as the actor and, and made it happen.
2: Yeah, but you know, I would never have thought of that. It. it was all about timing, and she just was great. I wish I had her with me all the time. Mm-hmm.
1: So, in regard to those books, when I looked at the titles and such, I thought, you're helping people out because no one helped you out through the years or because someone else did and you're passing it along?
2: Well, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, most people think I could act or I could write or I could direct, but then it's like, well, how would I make any money out of that? And so when I was a kid and I wanted to be an actor, I was in Dallas and I was, a, I'm so old that I was a fan of all of the Dirty Grable and MGM musicals. And so I wrote several of my icons a letter and I said, and I think I was in high school at the time, and I said, how, how would you ever make a living, how do you do this? And they all wrote me back, everybody, handwritten notes, it was, just, it was just the best. And they all said the same thing. They all said, you should do as much as you can in your own hometown before you go to New York or Los Angeles. And when you go to New York, you should study with Herbert Berghoff or blah, blah, blah. And so, anyway, that was just the best. And so I did do all the things in Dallas that I could do, and I went to school, and I studied, and then I accidentally got a job in Dallas at an internationally famous theater that as an acting major, I didn't really appreciate the importance of it. And so I got this job, I was just an apprentice, you know. but I was in three or four shows, and I was gonna go back to school, but then at the end of the summer, it was like in August, it was dark and it was too soon for school. And it was too late to get an actual job where I could make money. So I had in my mind, I wonder if there are agents in Dallas, Texas. So I got out the phone book back in the days when they had phone books. And I looked under agents and I found this woman downtown Molly O'Day Agency. So I got on the bus and I went down I had on my Easter outfit and I had on my little gloves. And I went in and I said, hi, I'm Kate Borman and I'm a singer because I would sung on the stage show in college and I wanted to do musicals. And she said, do you have any music? And I said, no. And I figured now she'd throw me out because I'd seen all these Betty Grable movies and that's how it went in those movies. <laughs> and then she said, you have an accompanist. And I said, no. And I figured now she'll throw me out. And she went down the hall and came back with an accordion player. And so I knew what key I sang I'm looking over a four-legged clover, and you made me love you. And I sang those songs, and she sent the accordion player away, and she said, what would you think to $100 a week at Shepard Air Force Base? And I was like, oh. I just never thought it would get this far. <laughs> and I said, I don't know, I'm supposed to go back to school, and whether my daddy would let me do that. And she said, "Well, you go home, and you talk to your dad? And I only found out like 25 years later that she called my father while I was on the way home. And so I went to Chevrolet Air Force Base and I sang and I was a complete blessed because I was so shy. It was like I wouldn't look at the audience. You know, I could sing, but I just wanted to sing like this. So when I came back two weeks later, it was too late to go back to school. I was not smart enough to know you could go back to school late. And before I had gone, this the principal, of the Catholic school, girls Catholic high school that I had gone to, she was a new principal that I didn't know, but she called me and she said, you know, would you be interested, you know, even though you haven't finished college, if you would continue going to school by correspondence, you've had professional experience, would you come teach acting for us? And I'm like, oh, I'm going away to sing. I don't think so. And so then she said, I'll keep it open though. And so I came back and I called up Sister Justin and I said, "Uh, hey, by the way, and I figured at the end of that year, I would go to New York, but I was so successful at school because it was a small school and they'd never done anything. And I started a theater club and built a theater in the round and had a volleyball team and a basketball team because they wanted me to teach phys ed too. And so I just loved it and I ended up not going to New York at the time. And so I totally forgot about the letters that they had written me. And, but I did go study with Herbert Berghoff when I went to New York years later. And so that was helpful. And then there was also a book that I read when I got to New York called The Madison Avenue Handbook because I was doing commercials. I had learned to do commercials in Dallas. And so uh, that really helped me. But mainly, I I had no idea how to choose an agent. Once my ship came in, I did a, a film called Joe with Peter Boyle. And I got all the reviews, and so it didn't make me a star, but it put me in the system, and so I had some choices. And people would ask me, and people were asking, and I'm like, I don't know which agent. they're all just agents. So then later when I was in LA, I decided, well, my son was getting a PhD, which is for independent work, and my daughters had a band, and they were writing music and blah, blah, blah. And I thought, well, this would be my PhD. I'm just going to write this book. And if anybody's interested in how you get an agent and what agents are looking for, you know, great. But, you know, this is what I want to do. And then that book came out. And then the New York bookstore said, well, where's our book? And so I wrote the next book. And then somebody else said, we want a book we can sell every place. And so I wrote the next book in it. And finally, I just said, I'm really an actor. So I stopped at five titles, but I would update them every two or
1: three years. Now, you sent letters out and got answers. Because of these books, did anyone send you letters?
2: I get I get letters and now emails from people, and it makes me so happy when somebody writes me. And recently I was doing an episode of, of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and we were sitting around on the set, and there was, um, I don't know whether anybody watches that, get ready oh, yeah. to come on again pretty soon. Uh, and one of the regulars who was on there said, uh, are you the one that wrote those books? And I said yes. And she said, I got my first job because of what I read in your book. And that just that just made me so happy because I I you know, acting is my first love and my first everything, but I really invented this whole thing of writing these kinds of books and I wrote it on my computer, and I was an early adopter of computers because my son is an information technology professor at CMU, and so I had a, a computer from, from Radio Shack when there was like, you know, the, the screen was here and there was something else here and I taught myself how to do it, and so I wrote those and delivered them camera ready, you know, when I did those first books, so it was fun. That's
1: excellent, so on your website, right there's on, the, on the homepage. It says nothing beats persistence.
2: And you know, I think that's um, I think that's from McDonald's that they say something about that. But it's really the truth. And particularly as an actor, because you, you really can't kill yourself because tomorrow you could become a star. It's just really the truth. When I did Nice Out, which was uh, came out a couple of years ago, I really hadn't worked in a while and usually actors never take a vacation because all you have to do is buy a non-refundable airline ticket and you'll get a job. And then you're like, well, I guess I'm gonna eat the ticket because I may never get another job, which is what all actors think. But I just kind of thought, I'm just taking this vacation and that's it. And so we left L.A., we went to New York, we flew to Rome, and when I got to Rome, there was this message on my email that said, I'm so-and-so, I'm the producer for Ryan Johnson, confidential, uh, for your eyes only, please read and blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't know, man, what is uh And so I wrote back and I said, well, I'm in Rome, I figured this will take care of it, right? And so I said, I'm on my way to Palermo and I can't read it until then. And so we went on our way and we got there and we got to Palermo and by the time you get in the room, it had been like twenty-four hours since I'd slept. So I read about this much of this this much of the script and fell asleep. And then the phone rang and they said, Brian Johnson wants to FaceTime with you tomorrow. And I'm like, as of what? You know? I just, I didn't know much about the script, you know, and so on. And so it was very exciting. I got the job. They slew me back. I got to come back first class. I got to go to Boston and work for a month with all those great people. So, you know, you can just never give up. You don't know what's gonna happen.
1: So, they literally sought you out. There was no audition, I hope I get it. They came after no, you.
2: but to me, it's not that I'm just so magnificent, which of course I am, but not everyone knows. Uh, no, it, it was, It was that um, the film came together very quickly. Ryan Johnson had done the last uh, Star Wars film before that and it didn't land very well. He had had been uh, supposed to do the next four, write and direct the next four, and then the fans were really mad because it didn't go like they thought it should. So he then, I don't know what happened, whether they said, well, forget it, or he just saw that it was forget it. And so he had this other script that he'd been working on and he immediately got it cast. And when Daniel came on, it was like in front of the cameras in like a month, which like never happens. And so I think, although no one ever told me this, I think somebody else, a bigger star, was supposed to do my part. And then she fell out at the last minute. And the casting people knew me. And so they had seen, you know, all my clips are available and so forth. And so they then said, you know, well, I know this actress, and
1: thank you to them. Thank you. Thank you to Sydney. Well, let's talk about that role for a second, because I, it's it's the shining spot in, the, in, in a really shiny movie. Every, everybody in there, there's no weak links. Oh, it's a great story. It's a great cast. It's a great everything. But as an actress, the part that just kind of makes it funny is that I don't think you took a single step on screen and maybe you made eye contact with someone once and sometimes you're almost like a back. Uh, uh, Chris Evans runs out the door and you're just sitting there so what what kind of crazy mess was this for you to say all right all right we're gonna be great but don't move Now, just whatever.
2: And you know what? I just really didn't care what they wanted me to do. (laughs) I was really happy to do it. And I knew when I read the script, you know, it doesn't matter how many lines you have. They have to cut to me. I was a plot point every time. And, you know, it doesn't matter how many lines. You could have a whole lot of lines off camera. I did a, a film at the very beginning of my career with Sophia Loren where I had this long monologue with Sophia Loren. And then when the movie opened, you, you saw me and then you heard my voice and then the camera was on her face the whole time. <laughs> so it's how much camera you get
1: that matters. Very good. So and then I was thinking about it too. I was like, if your character isn't really talking to anybody, but she's in the room, she's, she, is she, my words were, is she aloof? Is she lost in thought? Or is she absolutely in control and knew everything? What did you think, and what did the director think?
2: Well, I only think what the director thinks. And so, uh, you know, great nana. What I think is great about, you know, everybody thinks old people are invisible anyway, that we're not even there, so they could do or say anything in front of us, and what would we know? And so it was like, nana, nana on them, right?
1: Uh, (laughs) That's great. I would think that, oh, we talked about, when I mentioned King of the Hill to you, you had a story, but you would save it for here.
2: Well, uh, so King of the Hill, when it first started, uh, I, I auditioned literally 10 times for the part and Tammy Wynette got it. And then Tammy Wynette died. And then I went back and I auditioned 10 more times. Were you just going there listening to you, the audition is like this. You know, I'm talking and they're just listening to my voice because they want to know how it's gonna be, you know, when they put it on, you know, Tilly's face and so forth. So anyway, uh, it was really fun to do. Uh, And so I was very excited that that they came back to me even though I had to audition again.
1: She was another character that was just kinda, like you say, maybe they were ignoring her a little bit. Um, She was just so mellow and she was a little timid and such. now, I've heard different stories about how animation, voice acting works. Were you remote or with other people? How did how yours work? No, I, was
2: ju- I just did it on my own. Usually, that's how you do it. When you get to have another person in there, it's really fun. Uh, but no, I just did it by myself. Raise your hand if you have a question, please. I love Supergirl's outfit. She looks so cute. Thank you so much. Uh,
3: thank you for coming,
0: first of all. Um, I have a... Kind of
3: real quick two-parter, uh, my favorite Perry White was Lane Smith, can you tell us anything about him? There's some good Perry White but so I thought Lane was the best. And that scene
2: where uh, Clark was putting on the Superman suit for the first time, was that ad-libbed or was that part of the script? No, that was definitely part of the script. I'll start with that one first because I don't think I, I never had any uh, scenes with Lane. I just knew him and, and so it would I know him as Lane, I didn't know him as Perry, so no inside scoop. Uh, But so the Superman suit was a wonderfully written scene and what was great was that the hair and makeup people tried, did a whole thing with my hair, which I wasn't that happy with. And so Deborah Joy Levine, who was the writer-producer, said, are you happy with your hair? And I said, no. And she said, why don't you fix it how you want it? And so it's like, great. And so then we went in and and I said, we need lots of fabric because I really do so. I actually am Martha Kent. You know, I could do all of those things. This was a part that was just written for me. I just, what a gift to an actor. That doesn't happen very often. Uh, but anyway, it was not ad-libbed at all, and it was just the most fun, and Dean was the best person to work with, and you know, we just were beginning to know each other, you know, it was just the beginning of everything, so it was, it was. they just did the best job with it.
1: Yeah, I would think that uh, by that, I mean, that point of the story is he's pretty much grown up, so you really had to dive into the idea that you were well acquainted and cared for each other and such, um, and you probably, felt that early on or did it grow or
2: well you know dean he's been here before he's you know how personable he is it's easy for you to just sit next to him and think you've known him forever and so that's kind of what it was like and he was just adorable and so welcoming and adorable
1: Sounds like another one of those gifts to an actor because I'm sure it's not always like that.
2: You know, people say these things and there have been times when I have played with a couple people that was not that much fun, but it's very rare. It's just so rare that anybody is a stinker and is trying to get in front of you and make sure you don't have any camera standing in your life or something.
1: Because it's just a microcosm and you are all in it together so you might as well make the most of it.
2: Yeah, not everybody does. Some people think you know, they can be better if you're bad. I worked with a big star one time who I just adored, and I was so excited to get to work with her. And then she just, she took a, whichever character, there would be, be your part and my part and her part and his part and his part, and she would take your best scene and try to ruin it. And I was just like, no, she wouldn't do that. She did. And she's really good. She doesn't have to do that. Right, yeah, Uh,
1: there you are, another question? Oh, this is the question. This is the question.
3: So my question is, so when we uh, signed you for our Superman celebration, and I'm looking through the list of the vast list of movies that that you have done in TV, and I run across one of my all-time favorites, and that would be American Gigolo. And of course, my heart started pounding because just thinking about Richard Gere, just, you know, I mean, come on. Absolutely. So I just want to know, how was it working with him? And do you have any cute or funny or maybe
2: risque stories that you (laughs) want to share? Oh, for the risque, how I would love that. No, I don't have any risque stories, uh, but just he really was the best. And we had a really nice time, particularly when we were shooting the gallery scene uh, we were in, in that gallery and, and just doing stuff. And then, uh, of course, the scene at my house where I lie and say I wasn't there and, and, and I'm a bad person. But, no, he, he really, I, I have been hoping that our paths would cross again, not only because he was so nice, but because of all the terrific things I've heard about who he is as a person. Yeah, I think he's pretty awesome. Next question. Yes, uh, pardon
1: me
3: for not going the episode, but it was a remake of Panic in the Sky for the original Adventures of Superman.
2: How much fun was it pushing Dean off the uh, ledge? Oh my goodness, what if I don't even remember that?
1: Well then imagine how nice of a guy he is and think about pushing him off a ledge. Well
2: no, no, I, I mean, I'm, I, I can oh. certainly figure out much what that must have been like, but it's like, really, I don't know, why would I do it? <laughs> Yeah, you know, uh, what I do remember, but I don't think it was in that one, and I'm not gonna read, who's the, the, you're all fans, you'll know this. Who is the the rock star that was a bad guy? Nobody knows? Roger Daltrey. Yes, Roger Daltrey, yes. Uh, That was really fun because my kids were so excited that I was working with Roger Daltrey, and he was lovely.
1: Another one in the back? In the middle? Where we go? Oh, here we go.
0: Knives out. I can't, still can't get my breath, my head around Roger Craig's accent.
2: Daniel. Can, or Daniel Craig, rather. Can you tell me why they <laughs> gave him that? Was that his idea? Well, you know, the first time I heard him when I was on set and I heard him, I'm like, oh, no, we can't be doing this. And then um, who was... Um, who was Jamie Lee Curtis's husband? That, Don Johnson. Don, I was at a and A and Don Johnson said that when, when he was on camera first time after he did his first scene, he went afterwards to Ryan and said, was that too much? And he said, then when he saw what Daniel, he was doing like, oh no, that wasn't too much. <laughs> uh, you know, what was great about the film was that they had all these, from all kinds of disciplines you know Tony Collette you know Don Johnson you know and all these wonderful people Christopher Plummer and and there's a, a tone to the film that is that is comedic except it's very serious and somebody's getting killed right and there's all this stuff but that all these actors and they all came in at the last minute and they all got on the on the train at the same level it was just it was just one of those wonderful things that happens you know because you do a movie i mean i knew when i saw it, when i read this script it was going to be great but i mean that, that the planets really all lined up for it to just really be great because it it was a darling script and the actors there wasn't a weak Lincoln, a weak jane and oh there's no way to write an accent in there he just decided this sounds southern worked for him.
1: <laughs> I, I kind of thought I'd add it added to like the slow burn of it. If he'd been some sort of like, we gotta figure this out the pace would be wrong. He yeah. had to slowly Well burn.
2: Uh, uh, there was uh, I shouldn't say you can't you can't write the accent in, but it was it was really written in the you know, because doesn't he have this thing where he touches the piano and and you know, and so there there that languidity was written into it. And so That I'm sure informed that, but but the character really, as the character came out, as Daniel did the character, that was on the page.
1: You said it came together uh, like in a month or whatever. What was your uh, your time on set? Just a few days, or either for the?
2: Well, they hired me for a month, um, so that because I was uh, what they call a cover shot. So, in other words, mine were always going to be inside, and they had a lot of stuff to shoot outside. And so I always had to be there in case it snowed or rained. And then it would like, okay, hey, get up, it's time to go. Every morning at four, I had to call the AD and see if they were going to need me that day or not. And you say, no, go back to sleep. Or you say, call me at 10. Uh, and then I was in the makeup chair about four hours every day yeah so that was and it was so fun i really i've never been in that situation where i had a team you know people working on me and so i really got to know those people really well and that was fun
1: that, that was actually a building a house that wasn't a set that whole i mean
2: no that's great. i'm glad to asked that question so let me see if i can remember the college that's up there we, we filmed in Natick, i guess and there's some college that is there and the college name is the name of the people whose estate we were on. And we were in not not the biggest house, not the biggest house. And what happened is when this couple had kids and then they got older and were gonna get married, they built a house for each of them on the property and this was just one of them. And so uh, there was, the, the parents were gone and so one of the kids was there and and they i guess live in england now or something and they had come to be there for the shoot and so they were telling us about the house and there was like this gigantic book that looked like it came from the civil war where all the people who had ever been there had signed and there were like really amazing names in there so it was you know if it wasn't a big enough thrill to get to work it was a really big thrill to do that so i got to be in boston for a month working and then i was there Yeah, however many days I was there when I actually shot. We never shot more than one of my scenes, because my scenes were all in a different place. You know, there's in front of the window, and then there's at the party, and then there's on the couch, you know, when they're reading the will, and all that kind of thing, so. um, But it was great fun, and, and, you know, Christopher Plummer, whose mother I was, is older than I. (laughs) <laughs> so that was one of the reasons we had Elda the, and they they say in that first thing they say how old is she and and jamie lee says
1: no one knows <laughs> the uh spoiler ish the scene where you're looking out the window it's shot once with chris and once with the young lady right same day
2: i think spoiler that time. was i think that was the same day it's but like i one, don't remember for sure yeah, I think
1: that's so. one that seems like it would make the most sense because they're yeah. Different views of the well, scene.
2: And, and it's in that same setting, so surely it was. Oh, and then there was another scene in the in the library or whatever it was, where it's Daniel and I have a scene together. You know, when he says, "I know it's in there," you know, and you tell me, and so here I am, you know, the camera's on me, and I'm and I don't have anything to say, but my mind is having all these thoughts, you know shall i tell shall i not tell it's my grandson I'm absolutely my in
1: control and knew everything got it right there yeah. that's what i was wondering
2: yeah well yeah I, of course just because we're old doesn't I mean we're stupid
1: was that a, a challenge in that regard like uh i mean you know, a lot of times you're not supposed to be like blinking all over the place but i'm not sure she blinked ever
2: no yeah it was really hard i had to keep my i had everything was really still i mean really actually i was a, a prop Most of the time I was a prop, but it was
1: really fun to be a prop. Yeah, well, I mean, the line, uh, Nana, do you need anything to eat? Oh, she ate a whole shrimp tray. Right. That's not your line, but you're the reason it's funny, because you're standing right there. (laughs) If that had been off camera, oh, don't worry about it, she had something to eat earlier.
2: Well, and and originally, I can't remember how I really, I don't think they shot this part, or maybe they did, but it's written in the script that she just is keep plowing the food in. You know, but you can't plow it in that fast. You know, you get it, you got to chew it, you know, and so it's funnier on the page than really, really doing it. And so I can't even remember how much of that they show because that was the thing, you know, she's just, you know, type casting, I do get quite focused on my food, particularly if it's sugar.
1: I've been hogging up the questions. Who's got one? Uh, this is about sort of the production end of
0: things and how it affected the cast uh the producer kind of got bumped out the original vision from the first year and then you had the rumors about was the show going to be canceled and and then we had the marriage thing and then all of a sudden it looked like they rushed
1: at the end to get it all in how did could you comment a little bit about first we're going
0: looking at this way then that way and then hurry up or are we going to be canceled was there pressure and tension going on
2: well it's a very good question uh, Deborah Joy Ovine created the series, and it was her wit that made it so adorable. And so, I don't know, I, th- I thought maybe she had two seasons, and then they brought in the other writers, but maybe she just had one. Uh, but I think, first of all, you know, you just never know in the business if your ship is ever gonna come in again. And I think if it comes in once the first time, you think, oh, it'll come in again. And so they brought, in, they brought in a lot of guys to kind of tell Deborah Joy what to do, even though she was the brains behind the whole thing in the first place. And so they were kind of ushering her out. And so for my money, you know, like when she left, at least for Eddie and I, they just kind of wrote a bunch of lines and divided them between us instead of them being character-driven lines, which is what made that so great. And then they told the writers that they could do anything they wanted to except get Lois and Clark married. They could not get married. And so then the writers came up with what they thought was a very clever idea. And it was, if it hadn't gone on so long, which was the clone wedding and and having the clone. And so then when that happened, I know my son told me, because he was watching it, he was like, and then when Lois came out of it and didn't know that Clark was Superman, You know, his whole group was like, well, we don't want to go through that again, and they just clicked it off. But we had had wonderful ratings when Deborah Joy was on the show, but then they got focused, oh, this is why Deborah Joy left, now I'm remembering. They just wanted to focus on what they call stunt casting, you know, bringing in big stars to be guests, and then kind of just fiddle around with the rest of the show, and she didn't want to do that, because, you know, she wrote, you know, all the characters in such great detail and so so i guess she decided and they and she let them kind of usher her out but but then we we were actually picked up for the fifth season and uh and then terry got pregnant and so then it was like terry was like well, you know, if anything happens, you know, her lawyers were like, if anything happens, you know, we're gonna sue your ass, and so then, but because I think Terry was also getting a lot of other offers to do things, and that happens sometimes, you know, when you're big on a show, and then, what's his name, Uh, oh, who was on, oh, help me, the, the, the police, was it, the police show, that had the, that, oh, this is no clues. If anybody gets this, oh, yes, yes. Look, you got it with no yeah, clues dear, at all. Uh... David.
1: Am I... Or, uh,
2: Caruso. Caruso, David Caruso. David Caruso. Yeah, David Caruso. You know, when he was on that, he decided he wanted to be a movie star, and he got out of his contract, and then the movie star stuff didn't happen, and everybody just gave him such a hard time. You were stupid. And it was like, you know, if he wanted to do that, if he always wanted to be a movie star, fine. You know, and he certainly came out of it all right, because he's on whatever that other series is for 300 years. Yeah, fine. Yeah. So... Um, so anyway, I'm getting lost here. We were talking about the show. So so anyway, then, I think by that point, our ratings were not that good anyway. And so then the network was happy to get out of their contract. And so they didn't even hurry it up and finish it at the end because we thought we were coming back.
1: Follow a Quick follow up. Uh, have you ever seen there's a uh, website where fans of Lois and Clark just would not accept the fact that the show was over. So they started writing more and more episodes. Have you ever seen that? Because it's, I've only seen it a few times, but it's its astounding, uh, script after script, after script of this stuff. So I was just wondering if you've seen that. I
2: haven't seen it uh, since the day, but at that time, we the, they are called the friends of Lois and Clark, the folks, F-O-L, is or F-O-L, whatever. And uh, we used to, on after the show, we would go online, which was a, big new thing and interact with those people. And we knew there was a lot of fan fiction, but I don't think I ever really saw any of it. But I heard some of it was really good. But that's great, I didn't know that as far as they're concerned, we're still on. I'm, I'm available. There, there, was a, there was a rumor uh, three years ago, I think it was, uh, that Dean and Terry who had never really done one of these things together and, and Terry hadn't one, done one at all and they did one together in France and so they were together and they were on some talk show and people said you know is there any chance of it ever coming back and they were like well we would do it and I got all excited and then somebody said are you crazy they, they would have to have the kids Because that would be the only, you know, Superman's that old. He can't, Dean can't fly anymore. And so, so who's, who's gonna want to do that? Because it'll have to be centered on the kids. You guys are just too old. And it's like, oh, darn.
1: Never too old. So, uh, well, like Lois Clark is uh, filmed no audience, et cetera, et cetera. But like Meet the Browns or How I Met Your Mother, Meet the Browns was in front of an audience so uh, talk a little bit about maybe the the, the difference how that was for you having an audience while you before.
2: well i had done a lot of stuff in front of audiences anyway because when i first came to la the first job i got was a three-part on um one day at a time which was a, i which was a show that my daughters and i watched in new york and then when i went out to la to try and get a job it was like God, I'm gonna be one day at a time. I'm gonna be the Bonnie Frenchman and all those people. It was so exciting, but that was in front of an audience. And then I came from a theater background, and so that was all in front of an audience and people are always saying asking oh is it different in front of an audience or on stage or whatever and it's like all the same you know basically you have to be louder if you're in a theater but you kind of just adapt to that and particularly if you come from a theater atmosphere and so you know it's it's just one thing to do it on a set without you know without an audience and then sometimes and and on meet the browns it was really interesting because I don't know how much you know about Tyler Perry. Do you all know anything about him at all? You know, he's this amazing genius person who just invented himself, came from this horrible background where he was abused sexually and emotionally and physically and whatever. And so he had tried to commit suicide a couple of times. And so one day he was watching an episode of Oprah and Oprah said, you know, if you were depressed or whatever, you should write about it. You should sit and write. And so he decided he wrote a play and he saved his money and he put it up and he lost everything and he lived in his car and he saved his money again and so he, he did a third one and so when he did the third one he was like up in the the hotel above the theater and he was he just said god if this isn't going to go you know I'm not going to do it it'll be all right And so then he looked out the window and they had lined up all the way around the block for this play. And so then that was the beginning of it. But the brilliant part was that there were, there was no product for that audience. And he just set up a camera and started making DVDs, only they weren't DVDs then, they were whatever they were. And sold those copies of the plays and began this amazing career. And then he did a a show called The Pains, something The Pains, House of Pain. Uh, And he wrote that show and he produced 10 episodes of it, which he called a pilot. And then he went to TBS and he said, take these for free and play them. But if you get X numbers, then you have to buy 100 episodes. And they put it on, and they got the numbers, and he did a hundred episodes of that. So then, um, Meet the Browns was the next version of that. And when I got the opportunity to read for it, they said, "I said, is it going to shoot there? Or is it going to shoot here?" And they said, "Oh, it, it's going to shoot here," which was not true. Uh, but anyway, so we shot those, and they shot three a week and in front of an audience uh, for a while and then sometimes they shoot for a week it was just amazing and the people on house of pain told us you know stay very clear because for a while your mind keeps working and then after a while everything just kind of gets jumbled up and so i took this class Um, a class about your brain to work on your brain and with brain games those kind of senior brain games I, I took like a whole long class of that they kept putting off shooting and so I went every day for like three hours for like three months because I really wanted to train myself not to go crazy when I got there and and that was a very lovely shoot very nice people in Atlanta and the whole staff was really great, too.
1: Excellent. Right in the middle of that I'm thinking nothing beats persistence. It's true. It's true. Another question?
2: Did
3: you like doing the time travel
2: episodes? I loved when you had the cleaver and you went, are you ready for it? Wild boar? (laughs) I don't remember specifically that moment, but I remember that at the end of the day, I didn't want them to take any of my stuff off because they had lifted my neck up, and I just was so young.
1: (laughs) Another question in the audience? Oh, right up here.
3: How was it like on the set of NCIS, that's my favorite show,
2: working with Mark Harmon, Emily Wickersham, Sean Murray, and Maria Bello? You played Aunt Bertha. Oh thank, oh, thank you. You were great in that. <laughs> thank you that you went all the way through that, because I was going, which one was that And then you got all And I was like, yeah, Aunt Bertha, that was it. That was really fun. And here's the really funny part of that. So this was something I didn't have to audition for. They just called me up and asked you me to You were great
3: part. for that part. It was-
2: well. I didn't really understand how great I was until I saw it. I mean, I read it, but then when I saw it, I'm like, oh. I'm the perfect person, because it was an Agatha Christie, they kept saying it's like an Agatha Christie murder, and I was the one that made them know what happened. It's like, that writer was so clever. Oh, it is. They, yeah. they
3: have brick writers, and they say that that set is a really good set to be
2: on. It is, it, and while well, everybody's been there forever, and they're very welcoming, yeah. Thank you for saying, I'm like, oh, God, which one was it? Because I did another NCIS earlier.
3: Yeah, it was in uh, season eight. You played with Joe Duckwood, you were like with the person that got scammed from the Bernie Madoff scam, only it was a different guy, you know, but it was the Bernie Madoff scam. And you were on the video telling about how they stole you. Oh,
2: God, I forgot about that one. Season 8, yeah. Well, then I did another one, too. I did another one early on when it was called Navy NCS. Oh, yes.
3: Navy Yes, it was the first season because... Yeah. It was redundant to use the name Navy and C.I.S. because it's Navy, Navy Criminal Investigative Service. So they dropped it
2: after you know
3: after the first season. Actually, after about the first eighteen episodes, but
2: they came in and dropped. it. I wondered why they did that. Yeah. Do you remember what I did on that?
3: Uh, I'm trying
2: And that, um, my daughter in the series. I was the mother, and so the daughter was the important part. And and she, she was. I was dying. And she had told, she was trying to come in with a boyfriend so that she could have a boyfriend, because I wanted her to have a boyfriend. Was gonna get married, a fake marriage for me, since I was dying. Yeah,
3: that was the first season that Sasha Alexander was on, yeah. Right.
2: And so, anyway, I can't remember the name of the actress. Really nice actress. And we would have done more, except she got pregnant in real life, and then we couldn't go forward. And now she's a writer. She became a television writer. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: Wow. (laughs)
3: But yeah, the one that you just did, that was called Ephemera. Yeah, Ephemera, yeah. 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 Season 17. Yeah. yeah,
2: well, it was. Uh, uh, that was just so clever.
3: Oh, it was. Yeah. Everybody says that, like, everything I read all the time, they say that everybody is so nice on the set, and the set is brilliant, and that Mark Harmon's great. Oh, Mark Harmon is the best. I love that guy. Yeah.
2: <laughs> did you see him when he was on St. Elsewhere?
3: Oh, yeah, I watched them on St. Elsewhere. i seen summer school. I've seen, you know, when he played Ted Bundy, of course, yeah.
1: Yeah. Summer school, the dog and the peanut
3: butter. Mm. Everything. Oh, Chicago Hope. I loved him. when He played Dr. Jack McNeil in Chicago Hope. Oh, that was great. Yeah. Oh, you know, he's he's
2: just the greatest. And the nicest. And the yeah, nicest. Yeah, they
3: say he really is. As, as, gra-
2: as great as he is as an actor, he's that person, too.
3: And they always say that he he's kind of like, you were talking before about a person that the actor said, doesn't care, you know, if there's people that doesn't care if they give away their lines or give away the better scenes. Well, they say that if he thinks a line is better for somebody else rather than himself, he he will give it to
2: him. You know what I mean? Well, that's somebody somebody who knows uh, that you can only be good if that person's good. You'll be that much better. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, well, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. It's a great question.
1: You had mentioned earlier, I said, uh, I was going to ask you if you had a favorite story. You said, well, it's not my favorite story, but I have a story. If we hit that one, yet?
2: Yeah, oh on. God, Why didn't you tell me then what it was about? I don't, I don't know what it was well, We were
1: saving it for the stage.
2: Well, I know, but it was like, I don't know what it was. It so,
1: maybe it'll come maybe. back to me. Trust me, it was brilliant. Other okay. questions? I
2: have a question I like to ask all. Of you. was there anybody on the set of lois and clark that was the biggest practical joker i don't remember yeah i wasn't on the set as much as other people because we were just in 7 of 13 and usually our our scenes were just with dean and terry and so i don't i don't really remember anything like that
1: chris Evans has a reputation for being a cut up how about uh knives out was considering all the talent they had to broken at some point.
2: Well, yeah, but uh, what scene was I in that they were all in? Well, you were in the background all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't, actually. I only saw what you saw I saw, and that was the only—that was the important part, right? Yeah, no, Chris, uh, and, and I must say that when I got that part, I really, I was not a Marvel fan, and so I really didn't, luckily, didn't know who Chris Evans was. He was just another person, uh, which is great, because, um, my goodness, what a bigger star is that? Although I'm usually I'm, I've worked with a lot of really big stars, and I'm usually I'm not really starstruck at all. But this has nothing to do with any of these. But once I auditioned for the second, there was an there was an Ellen show called Ellen, not not the talk show, but whatever whatever that series was called. And then they were going to do another one, and so they wanted me to audition for Ellen's mom. And so really the script was. There was just nothing to do. It was just like, I didn't know what to do. And I went in and I just became ridiculous whatever I did and then I got a call back. And I got another call back. And then they negotiated for me for more money than they'd ever negotiated for me before and I'm like, wow, that's really good. So now we go back in and actually Lane Smith was there too for some part because I remember him being there. And so it was one of these things where you start off in this building and then they move you over to this building, and then we went to this building. And so we're, when we got to this building, we were in an office building, and Ellen came out and sat with us and talked to us, and she was just so nice, and that was just really nice. And so then we went inside, and I don't know what happened to me, because I seemed to have totally lost my brain on the way inside. And when we got inside, somebody remarked I had these great red shoes, and I just, oh yeah, I got these at Bloomingdale's, they were on sales, like I wouldn't shut up. i just (laughs) And then, when you're gonna read, usually you're reading with the casting director. And so, Ellen got up there to read with me. And on my brain, I'm saying the lines in my brain is going, oh my God, that's Ellen, that's Ellen, that's Ellen. And I don't know why, because I've worked with a lot, but I just wasn't expecting it. And so, I didn't get it, and then the actress who got it was, so far superior to anything I would have thought of, which was Chloris Leechman. She just made something out of it when there was not really that much there. But anyway, I just remember how Ellen made me lose my brain.
1: Starstruck. Yeah.
2: Um, I don't I don't so starstruck. It was just so surprising that she was there.
1: That she take the time to do that because there's normally something else.
2: Yeah, I I don't think any any other thing that I've read that i ever oh well i i read with um with somebody else for a series that i almost got but i didn't go crazy at all and she was great and i would be i have to give you so many non-clues because i can't remember for you to never forget who that was <laughs> where is she? oh in the back question I, back
3: here. I
0: uh,
3: first off i want to say loved you on lois and clark thank you probably one of my favorite moments of you was the Christmas episode with the rats that made everybody act like kids, and it affected Clark, and he burned the heels off, of, and you said, Clark Kent, I want to drop your bridges and tan your hide like cheap leather.
1: <laughs> that was so
3: funny. Um, but my question for you is, did you really have uh, a knowledge, or did you ever like read the Superman comic
2: books or anything like that, or how familiar
3: were you uh, with it when you were uh, brought
2: on? Well, I would just say this, I named my first cat, as a little girl, I named my first cat, Lois Lane. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: I, I grew up on um, Superman, as everybody did, the comics and so on, so uh, I was familiar, but of course our Lois and Clark really wasn't very much like that, you know, that our characters in particular.
1: Well, you were absolutely fabulous. So
3: thank you for being part of the the celebration and the mythos, and we appreciate you being here.
2: Thank you so much. I must say it was a gift. It was a total gift to me to get that part because, as I said, I, I really am kind of that person, and, and that doesn't happen to actors very often, that you get something that is so close to home.
1: Are you working on something else now you might want to tell us about?
2: Uh, well, I'm doing a new edition of one of my books, but my Brooklyn Nine-Nine will be starting soon. I think I'm the eighth episode into the season. I am so happy to know that.
1: Very happy to know that. Yeah.
2: Uh, and my scenes were with um, Andy and um, Andre, which is just—they're just—they're the, just the best. Oh my God! I just have to tell you this. <clears throat> so, in—in our—in one of the scenes they come in and they're trying to do something and they're conning me. And so they have decided that one of them is going to distract me while the other one is doing whatever. And so Andre, he comes in, I'm I'm mad at them, and Andre comes in and he says, don't mind my friend, you know, he's he's a little rough. And he said, I'm not rough, unless you want me to be. And then he starts coming on to me, and I gotta tell you, when Andre Brower looks you in the eye, it's like, oh my God! <laughs> it was like his eyes got that much bigger than they were. I mean, it was just what fun we had a really good time.
1: Yeah, I, 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 uh, I think a lot of it has to do not just in the eyes, but the voice of his. Yes. But he uh, he's got a DC connection too, right? He was Darkseid in uh, some of the animation.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's done everything. I mean, he's an uh, acting icon. He's just—he's done everything. It was really an honor to get to work with him and with Andy because you know Andy uh, had produced Palm Springs, that film. I don't know if any of you saw that film last year, but I, particularly being me and my age in life, I don't know whether you remember, but there was a scene where um, the who's the guy who kept coming back? It's not Andy. Is Andy the star? The the star. The star. The star of Palm Springs. Was that Andy? Yeah. I can't remember. So Andy is telling the the other woman that is now coming back with him all the adventures that he's had. And he talks about this woman in the bar who was an older woman. And he said he even had a fling with her. And then the woman says, "Uh, I bet that was good. And he said, yeah, it was. And I was like yay because usually older women are just the the butt of the joke on those kinds of things and so it was so nice to meet annie and say hey thank you for doing that you know
1: that was really nice there you go question in the back hi i don't have a question i just wanted to thank you for being part of the show that even when i was grounded i was still allowed to watch it on sunday nights (laughs) thank you you were there. There for all of us. Who else got a question? Coming around the corner. More
2: questions?
1: How are we doing on time, everybody? Five minutes. This is your five in morning.
2: It'll be your question, I think. I don't think we have any more. You have any more?
1: Oh, we got one. <laughs> have you seen the new uh, Superman and Lois?
2: No, I Well, I looked at it briefly at the very beginning, but I have not seen it.
0: I think you'll see it. Uh, you were talking to Dean.
2: Terry. We're older. We're older.
3: It's kind of in that place. They've got two teenage sons.
2: Yeah, but see, those guys who are playing it are still a lot younger. Yeah. You know, they're, they're probably forty. You know. I <laughs> understand. But but and and it's is are the kids the star ultimately the teenagers? No. It's still it's still the it's still Superman and Lewis. One, oh, one of the kids got the powers. Yeah.
1: but Dean Cain has sort of that Dick Clark thing where he could be 100 and still look like he's 35. It's true,
2: but I don't think he could fly anymore.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, then maybe we have to just make it a comedy. He tries to fly.
2: Well, I remember Terry or Dean One telling me how painful it was. It was really hard because those wires, when they're on you, they really cut into you. So, uh, you know, they make it look like fun. Uh, and I would think it would be fun, and I'd like to try it, and it's like, oh no, I think it was fun, but it probably isn't.
1: Then that would make me think, uh, my own segue, you sound like a lot of your experiences have been positive, but you know, I don't want to get in a harness. Did you ever have something where you maybe got into a role, didn't you not be what you thought it was going to be, you know, I hope I get through this, or any bad experience?
2: No, I don't, I can't remember anything like that. Um, I don't have any bad stories. I, I did do um, a horror movie once. Was it called This House Possessed? I'm not sure. But I know that I got crushed in a gate and going into a big mansion because the house was jealous of me because I had been talking to the girl inside and they had killed, the house had killed her parents and everybody else because the house just wanted her and we had to go down to San Diego or something to shoot and people kept saying, now you be careful, don't you be in that when they do that because you know, particularly when they shoot that scene last, <laughs> you know it's not, Just it's not gonna evil. be good. You know, so, but no, I really haven't had anything. I remember the only kind of bad thing that I can remember at all was when I was in New York and doing commercials, I did this commercial where they put a fake face on you uh, because, oh, you had to turn into other people. I remember, I think I'm one of the few people at the audition who figured it out, that they didn't really care about anything. They, They were interested in you looking like this other person, so the facial structure, because what happened is that they put on a face and then you pull that off and whatever we were selling was whatever. And so the makeup guy, who must not have known much about how to put this latex on, glued it under my eyes. And I think I aged ten, literally 10 years when he was pulling that off because it's like pulling all that skin.
1: But I don't, I don't remember anything. Didn't you say earlier, that, how much time did you spend in hair and makeup getting ready for knives out? Four. Four hours. Yeah. Now they always say it's, it's four hours in, and then maybe
2: they get it off in two and a half, or...? They got it off really fast, but when I was on Star Trek, I did a Star Trek where they had a fake prosthesis and stuff. And that was actually while I was shooting Lois and Clark, I got that part. And it was so exciting the first time you go over, and they make that mask, and they, you know, cover you up, and you're breathing out of a straw, and it was like, this is really fun. And then you get there in the morning, and they spend all this time on you and then you've gotten there at like four, and then you get off at 10, but they built another hour in to get it off, and it was so much fun for like two or three days, and then I thought, I wouldn't want to be a regular on this show. This, I mean, just imagine, there's no life. That's why those regulars get all the big bucks, because there's no life, and you need to be like 12 or 20 or just beginning, because if you had kids or a spouse or something, there's no time to really have life. So I'm very um, respectful when I see people doing that kind of work about what it costs them to do that. Are you being nice too? Knives Out too? No, unfortunately it's just Daniel. They're just carrying that, that character forward. Uh, I keep getting letters all the time, oh boy, Knives too, and it's like, I'm really happy to have been in the first one, but I'm afraid that was it
1: be a scene where he has to think it over and he goes to you for advice.
2: Yes. That would be great at the end of every one. He's like, what shall I do? It'll be cut to me.
1: I'll tell him. I think you know something and I'm prepared to (laughs) listen. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. I was hoping I could work that in.
2: Been practicing for
1: weeks. Oh, it's just been right up here the whole time. I'm like, oh
0: my God, it's the next one.
1: (laughs) All right, are we about done then? Coming to a close, which is sad because this has been awesome. Yes, appreciate you, Thank you, everyone, for the fun being
2: here. Thank you, guys. It was, it's been really fun being here, it's, and thank you all for coming.
1: Enjoy the rest of the Superman celebration. Please hydrate. Thank you.
0: Talk week four of Big Brother 23. So we open the week with Christian as the HOH, and immediately we have two targets for the week. And the Kings meet to talk about the nominations. Christian and Xavier both talk, and they want Whitney to be the target. Sarah Beth wants Hannah to be the target, And this is going to be the story of the week here with uh, how much Sarah Beth is going to battle over getting Hannah on the block. So of course, Xavier is working hard to keep Hannah off the block as Hannah is in a cookout alliance with him. And so we get to the wild card competition. I'm gonna try to kind of run through this week a little little quicker with the. Uh, Not making this podcast here too long. The Kings are, of course, safe. So they're not going to play in the wildcard competition. Claire plays for the Queens as she was the only option left for the Aces. Whitney plays as another team with an only option. The Jokers pick Ozza to play for them. So the competition is a very survivor-like competition with a ramp where you have to roll a ball around and land it in a hole at the bottom. Kind of like a maze where you have to pick it up and move the ball around and try not to land it off of the table. And so uh, just very survivor-like with that. So Claire did very well in this competition and she was very close to winning multiple times. And she does pull out the win So, here comes the twist. As She is offered two choices. She could either choose safety for her and her team for the week, or she can take safety for herself all the way until jury. So, of of course, Claire takes safety for herself until jury. No fallout from her team on the decision, as they all say that was the right thing for her to do and happy for us. It's like, you get that opportunity. You've got to take that opportunity. Anytime you can get multiple weeks of safety, I mean you've got to go for that. So the Kings and Queens, they meet to talk nominations again now that the wild card competition is set competition is set and they know who's safe there. So the group is satisfied with Whitney as the target. Well, except for one person, and that is Sarah Beth. She is absolutely set on Hannah being the target this week. And she points out saying that it really concerns me how hard you guys are fighting for Hannah. And I'd be thinking myself, well, it's concerning that you are fighting so hard against her. And why are you fighting so hard against her? That's what I was thinking in my head. So here's one thing that's been really noticed with Sarah Beth this week. Sarah Beth she's very laid back very laid back personality very calm just very go with the flow so this is a complete 180 from what they are used to with her there's like no middle point here it's like suddenly with her being so vocal and determined it's raising eyebrows where they're just like we've never seen this side out of Sarah Beth what is the deal with her and So once we get done with this, the three people on Christian's radar for targets this week are Whitney, Hannah, and Brittany. So the Kings meet with the Jokers, and they say, If we have your backs this week, you have ours next week. And of course the Jokers agree. And they're pushing Whitney for the target. Big D tells the Kings that Whitney had planned on targeting them this week, So Alyssa pushes to Christian on, just with as much as Whitney's name is being brought up, she says, why even target Whitney this week when everyone wants her out? They can just all, they can do that next week, and we can just take out Hannah this week. That would be the target, and then let everybody else uh, take out Whitney next week, since that's what everybody else wants to do. We take out Hannah, they take out Whitney, and we get both of them out, and Xavier says in the DR, he said, I hate that my team is so smart (laughs) because he's like, that makes complete sense. He's like, I hate that they're so smart that they've figured this out. Because of course, again, he's trying to keep Hannah off the block. So Christian talks to Hannah and he hints to her that she could be going up as a pawn. And Hannah tells Christian that With all of his wins that he is doing, he already could be putting a target on himself, but that he is safe with her. And that is a topic of conversation because Christian is winning so many competitions. It is getting his name brought up of, we're going to have to take that guy out at some point because he's going to win all these competitions and we're not going to be able to take him out. So... Hannah leaves the conversation feeling feeling good, even as a pawn. You know, she seems like he's kind of eased her, and she liked where the conversation went with him. So nominations are indeed Whitney and Hannah. So now the Kings are going to talk again, where the talk is again, who is the target. And Sarah Beth is continuing to hammer on Hannah being the target. And Sarah Beth, at one point in the DR... She says, uh, if I keep pushing it, I could get myself in trouble and put a target on my back. Too late, Sarah Beth. It's, (laughs) It's already happening. It is already happening. And so Christian tells Hannah, lay low. You're the pawn. Just chill out. You know, Whitney's the target. Just chill out this week. So Hannah tells him, it's like, I'm trusting you on this. So... Obviously, Hannah says in the DR she's going to go for the veto just to guarantee her safety. She's like, I'm just going to win this and not even have to deal with all this and just take myself off the block. So Whitney and Xavier are going to talk, and he asks her if she had ever said their names as a suggestion of going after and Whitney says, no, never, I never did that. And Big Brother says otherwise when the editors roll the video footage of the receipts in there where Whitney did indeed say that. So uh, Big Brother editors throwing her under the bus with that edit and bringing the receipts. It's always funny when they do that because it's like, man, that's, uh, that's harsh Whatever that happens where it's like the show's like, nope, this is what you said, here's the receipts for it. So we get a segment here at one point of Christian. It was a fun segment in the backyard. And I believe this happened like maybe a couple of weeks ago or at least a week ago because this this clip's been circulating on Twitter for a while. He was challenged by Brittany to do a burpee and a backflip at the same time. And not only does he do one, he does six of these, six of them it's pretty incredible and it shows how strong is and of course Brittany and Sarah Beth was there at the same time too and they're just like oh my goodness are you kidding me and Brittany does make that comment in the DR where she's just like I don't think I would have done that (laughs) I don't think I'd want to be showing everybody how athletic I am and that's what you definitely don't want to do because I thought it's like that's impressive but that's also silly to show people just how insanely athletic and physical you are especially when you're already winning competitions. So that'll get a target put on you real fast. So here comes another story on the show this week. Azura res- reveals to Xavier, she says, "I have a middle school crush on you." And Xavier's like, "What?" you know, oh, oh my goodness, and of course he's flattered, and he says in the DR, he's like, Oz is beautiful, she's great, but he's like, I am not here for showmance, he says, I am not a hopeless showmantic, and Operation Nomance hasn't changed, (laughs) which I thought was a great line, so, although I'm pretty sure, because he does have a pretty big crush on Alyssa, so, he did at one point, I I assume he still does, but he definitely had a big crush on Alyssa, I think Alyssa is the... That's the that would be the challenge to Operation Nomance being thrown out the window. So Hannah asks Derek X if he would use the veto on her if she picked him to play in the veto competition, and he says yes. And we get to picking players for the veto. Of course, the HOH and the two two nominees make the picks out of the bag. Christian picks Claire. Hannah gets, she picks out house guest Choice, and then she chooses Derek X. Whitney, not happy about that. She's like, picked my teammate. And I'm like, well, who'd you think? Did you seriously think Hannah wasn't going to pick Derek X? It's like, they're a duo. It's like, hello? I thought that was kind of a silly take on Whitney's part there. It's like, well, did you really think he's going to pick you over Hannah? I mean, come on. So, I don't know. Whitney picks Aza. So we see Sarah Beth's frustration here of her not being picked for the veto where she's saying I've yet to be picked for one so frustrating blah blah blah. So Tiffany is going to Tiffany's Sarah Beth is right on uh Tiffany's nerves. <laughs> Tiffany's has had her feel of uh of Sarah Beth this week and she talks to Hannah And she is telling her that Sarah Beth wants her out. And Tiffany's saying, I don't trust Sarah Beth. And Tiffany has really been doing a lot of work this week to plant that around. And plant some of the things that Sarah Beth has been saying and doing. And as a way to set a target on her. Like going into next week. To where maybe the house would... She could work on the house to take a shot at Sarah Beth next week. So... You know, again, we have the talk of, like, Sarah Beth's tone changing at times, and she does go from, like, zero to 100 quickly at times, especially on the Hannah thing. And I have yet to figure out or hear anything on why she is actually so against Hannah. Uh, Nothing has happened in the house from everything I've seen and heard from other live feeders. I haven't seen anything myself so, nobody really has an explanation on why she is so set on Hannah being such a threat to her i don't I don't know I don't understand it. There was one Sarah Beth story this week on the feeds uh to where and again, Sarah Beth is a very calm personality, and it's it's uh yet another one of these things to where she can flip and you see this different side of her. She was laying on the bed, or laying somewhere, um, around Christian, and of course, you know, there's a, there's a rule in the Big Brother house, you can't sleep during the day, and if they catch you sleeping, they'll play a message over over the house speakers, you know, to, uh, to wake up, no sleeping. So Sarah Beth is laying there, she's got her eyes closed, and they play the thing to where uh, you know no sleeping and sarah beth just goes into a rant of can i not close my eyes in this house what in the world of course i'm cleaning cleaning that up a little bit with <laughs> some of what she said and just kind of invents it production and christian was there and he he later tells the story to Alyssa. he was just like it's like I, I was scared. It's like she she scared me. And Alyssa's kind of laughing, laughing at the story. And Christian's like, you know, you can laugh, but she scared me. <laughs> like that, that was scary. And she scared me. So it's kind of another one of those things where Sarah Beth can just kind of flip, just kind of out of nowhere from like this really calm personality to where she'll get kind she'll kind of snip at you. So the veto competition is a beach volleyball court you have to roll the volleyball up through a tube and down the other side so you have to make sure to give it enough speed to where it goes up and comes down the other side And you're gonna run back and forth and catch it on both ends and then send it back the other way and you can't let it hit the ground of course this is a big brother competition we've gotten many times over the years so you have to do it 100 times and then you win if it hits the ground you start all over Derek X, Christian, and Ozza were the fastest a quarter of the way through. Aza dropped at one point, leaving the competition between Christian and Derek X. Christian wins 100-94, around that. It was about around 94. I didn't know that for sure if it landed 94, but he was right around that target, was Derek X. So Christian is your veto winner, along with being HOH. This competition played out over two segments on the show. Tiffany said on the feeds that the comp probably lasted five minutes. So I'd be curious to know if that is legit, if the segment on the show was actually longer than the actual competition was. So here comes a moment in the house that got Whitney really angry. She was next door by a group that was talking, and Derek X made the comment of, well, if uh, it'll be the Aces' turn for us to be have-nots next week, but there'll only be two of us being. Have-nots with me and Hannah. Whitney's on this team, and she overheard this, and of course that flew all over her. She said out loud, "What if I'm still here?" And Derek immediately was like, "Oh no, I feel so bad. Oh my goodness, I can't believe I just said that with her, like being right there. Oh, I feel so bad." And he apologized immediately. And Whitney said, "You know that one statement told me I'm going home." So. And she was. The target's been Whitney. Sarah Beth has been trying to maneuver the target over to Hannah. It's just not been happening. So Whitney later pitched trying to get Christian to put Derek X up on the block. She's just, she's over Derek X and Hannah. She's been throwing Hannah under the bus in the last day or so too. So the veto ceremony happens. Veto's not used. Tonight's episode had the eviction. Vote was 10-0 to 0 to evict Whitney. Votes to evict Whitney were Big D, Brittany, Ozza, Kylan, Alyssa, Sarah Beth, Claire, Derek X, Tiffany, and Xavier. couple things in the goodbye messages that were played during her interview with Julie... Sarah Beth in her interview said she was saying I fought so hard to keep you I was really trying to keep you in this game I was thinking well it wasn't so much that you were trying to keep Whitney you were trying to get rid of Hannah (laughs) you weren't trying to keep Whitney you were trying to get rid of her is more what it was going on so then we also had Aza telling in her goodbye message that uh saying that one of the reasons I had to get rid of you is that I have a middle school crush on Xavier and you hang out with him too much and basically I had to get rid of you. So Whitney, of course, is shocked hearing this revelation and she was like, I feel so bad being flirty around him now because I didn't know Ozza liked him and now it's like I feel bad that you know, I'm being flirty and she liked him and I'm doing this right in front of her. So... The house gets the reveal from Julie that the team twist is over. Everyone's playing for themselves now, and that also eliminates the wild card competitions as well. This gets us to the HOH competition. This is going to be our first endurance HOH competition of the season. It's the normal wall comp to where the person's hanging on the longest wins with the leaning wall, and then the water, of course, being rained down at various times. I noticed that there was the Big push from Julie here to say, if you can't wait till Sunday, because it is Big Brother, you can turn on the feeds and watch this thing. That's probably the biggest push I think I've ever seen for a competition. Uh, Usually Julie's like, hey, it's going to play over on the feeds if you want to see how this plays out. But she was just like, hey, go over there if you want to see it. Turn it on where it's going to happen. I know you all can't wait till Sunday. Turn it on. So it was kind of I'd never seen her push it that hard before. So I'm going to talk about the HOH competition. These are spoilers on how the HOH competition played out. So if you do not want to know the results of the HOH competition and you're just going to watch it on Sunday, this is the this is the end for you on the podcast. This is not going to be anything else talked about after this with the episode. So If you're tuning out here, thank you so much for listening, and I'm going to go into these Big Brother spoilers on the HOH competition. So here we go. Big D, he was the first one out, probably around the 10 minute mark, it was right around there. I knew he wasn't going to last because he was complaining the whole time he was up there on the wall, so he was not long for this competition uh, Claire was the second one out. Next was Hannah and Sarah Beth going off of there at the same time. So the next order of outs were Kylan, Brittany, Aza, and Tiffany. So this gets us to Alyssa, Derek X, and Xavier as your final three. Alyssa was promising safety to Derek X. They were right next to each other up on the wall. You know, if he jumps, she was just like, you're safe, you're safe and Derek X wasn't leaving the wall. He was not moving. And one thing was interesting, um, they're down there together. Xavier was the only one left on the other end of the wall, so he was down there by himself to where Alyssa and Derek X were right next to each other. So minutes later, Alyssa's off, and she's just super disappointed. It did sound like Derek X promised her safety anyway. So... Xavier is then it comes down to him and Derek X final two he is all the way across the wall he's trying to work deals and Derek X isn't jumping he's saying he wants to win this Derek does promise safety to Xavier so Xavier a little bit later he jumps off Derek X wins the HOH competition Hannah runs across the yard, jumping on top of him while he's laying on the ground, celebrating. Just just such a cute moment between those two. I just, I loved it. I think I melted (laughs) watching that moment. It was so cool. Uh, The competition itself lasted just under about an hour and a half. As far as the live feed since, we've had multiple celebrations by different people with Derek X in the pantry. Just a lot of fun celebrations. It's had me laughing Uh, This was a very big win for Derek X. His name has come up on multiple occasions by different people, and of course we know he's possibly been a target. Hannah was definitely a target this week, so this is going to keep the target off of Hannah. Hannah. It's going to be interesting to see where he targets this week. I mean, my gut obviously says Sarah Beth, especially when Hannah knows that Sarah Beth was coming for her. And Derek X knows that he was, that uh, Sarah Beth was coming for Hannah as well. So will he take the shot at Sarah Beth to retaliate? That's where I feel like that goes. But we'll have to see how that plays out. And, of course, there's a lot of fun talking in a pantry with Derek X and Hannah. And they're just so stinking cute (laughs) together just with how they talk and interact with one another. I just love them, too. They're just so awesome. And I I love their interaction on the live show tonight, too. So Derek X did tell Hannah that he made a deal with Xavier to not put up any of the kings. So that will be something to watch as well. Now, remember, I mean, you can bounce checks in the Big Brother house. You know, it's just because you make a deal and write a check, you can bounce that check. So, with him being in the Royal Flush, because he made a comment earlier in the week that he's kind of stuck between these two alliances to where he's got his team, but he's also in with the Royal Flush as well. So, he's having a tough time balancing those. So... I mean the Royal Flush is what an eight-person alliance, including him. So yeah, I don't I don't know. I don't know where he goes here. I feel like Sarah Beth is going to be the logical target. Other than that, I mean if he's promised the king's safety, I mean it feels like maybe he just would go after Brittany. Because it just feels like Brittany isn't long for this game. Because I think her reaction so much with being... Just how much she complained about being on the block as a pawn. Really kind of put a little bit of a target on her. To where it just annoyed people with how, how much she complained about being a pawn. And she was trying to negotiate... Uh, like three weeks of safety because she'd been on the block for two weeks. It's like, that's not how Big Brother works. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if he takes a shot at Brittany or not. It just feels like Sarah Beth is going to be the logical target. And I feel like if he's promised safety to the Kings, because... At some point, somebody's gonna want to break up Alyssa and Christian. That showmance, because they're definitely a showmance now. There's, there's no doubt about that. They, they're a thing. They're a thing in that house. And because uh, it's so funny, it's because uh, they laugh about. It. They're just like, yeah, we're brother and sister. Like y'all are making out in the HOH room. <laughs> you know? It's like you're not brother and sister. Like and nobody in the house believes that either. It's funny because it's like they everybody knows they're a showmance that they're a duo, and that's going to be something that's going to have to be broken up. And it's just a matter of who decides to take that shot. Because anytime you're a strong showmance in in the Big Brother house, that's going to put a big target on you. So we will have to see where does Derek X take a shot with this HOH reign, who does he put up and nominate? I still feel like it's Sarah Beth, but with him making deals with the Kings, and he talks a lot of game with Alyssa, so, and he promised Alyssa safety, but I kind of thought, well, maybe he'll take a shot at Christian. You know, it's like, well, I promised you safety, but I didn't promise safety to Christian. So I thought, well, maybe he takes a shot at Christian, but I wonder if he maybe just goes like Sarah Beth and Brittany. Maybe that's like the safe nominations. I don't know. We'll see anyway as uh, Big Brother 23 enters week five. It has been a very fun season and I'm excited to see what Derek X does this week. And I'm also very excited that him and Hannah are safe this week. And again, I'm going to say this is just such a likable cast. I really like this cast a lot. They're a lot of fun. They're always finding fun things to do. They're constantly playing the game to where... There's a lot of things I left out this week because they're just constantly playing the game and working, trying to figure out how they can get ahead, and you can't even keep up with it because they're constantly trying to work alliances and side alliances, and you can't keep up with it, and there's no point in even trying to explain it, and then even if you did try to explain it, it's going to change tomorrow, and I love it because that shows they are playing the game, and they're just a very likable group. So I'm loving Big Brother 23. That is it for this week's episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. God bless. And I hope you have a great week.